1: Today's episode is all about how to stop being so moody. Technically, when something happens to you, when you're
2: triggered, that feeling, that anger, or that shame, or that pain, or that sadness, should only technically last 60 to 90 seconds. When you're in a mood, that's when you choose to keep thinking about it, and that's when you consciously are making that feeling keep running through you. So basically... I'd figured out, okay, like I'm allowed to feel things and I'm always gonna feel things, but I need to stop this circuit. Like after 90 seconds, I shouldn't still be affected. I shouldn't be wasting my whole day in a funk because as you said, someone on Twitter is like being aggressive or someone says something I don't like. And so that's kind of how I differentiate it. Like you're allowed to feel it, but when you keep feeling it is really when you've delved into this mood.
1: Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Is brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host Melissa Monti. Hi, friends! First of all, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, make sure to hit the subscribe button so you're always updated about new episodes. Plus, you want to know basically the best way to give back to your favorite podcasts? Actually, go to the iTunes app and leave a five-star review. Reviews are scientifically proven to make me love you more. That's just how it is. I love you when you leave me a review. You sit in my heart for days at a time. No, but seriously, they really help the growth of the show. They're probably the number one thing that you can do besides supporting my sponsors or joining the membership. So it's an easy, free way to give back to a podcast you love. And if you do leave me a review, send it to me at mindlovemelissa on Instagram, and I'll send you a free meditation track. Today, I want to share a review that was really touching from Mellie Bell. She said, I started listening to Mind Love a few weeks ago, and I will say it's truly changed my life. I was in a bad place mentally. This podcast has given me a new direction to look for help, mostly within myself. I'm super excited about this journey I'm on, and I can give most of the credit for starting this journey to Melissa, her guests, and her podcast. Thank you. Truly thank you. Well, thank you, Melly. Just know I am sending you so much love and reach out if you need to. Are you a little bit moody? Be honest. Maybe you're moody because you're going through a hard time in your life. I mean, I think everyone has been a little moodier than usual this past year, for example. Or maybe moodiness is kind of your typical disposition. You're just a moody person. Hell, there's a good chance that you're in a mood right now, and that's just how it's always been. Well, research shows that moodiness stems from an unwillingness to confront and work through deeper issues. Ouch. So moody people tend to either mope around or blame other people to avoid digging deeper into the root of their mood, whether it's anger or resentment or sadness. If you're typically moody and you're in a relationship, then chances are you've found someone who will accept that blame and cater to you, which can then lead you to try to control people even more often and even develop narcissistic tendencies. If that's not bad enough, ask yourself, does it really feel good having such volatile emotions all the time? How is being all over the place with how you feel holding you back in your life? Maybe it's hard to plan or you flake a lot because a mood pops up right before you're supposed to go do something that should be fun. Or maybe friends or relationships are hard to keep because you expect the other person to keep you happy. Or maybe you just realize that allowing yourself to feel bad when you don't really have to just isn't a valuable use of your life. How much of your life are you wasting because you're always in a mood? I'll be honest, I can be moody. I have really big emotions, so sometimes it's hard not to let them affect my day. Especially when there's so much going on in my life that I wouldn't have willingly chose for myself. The funny thing is, I didn't really realize I was moody until I lived with someone it's kind of easy to show up and stay happy during a night of binge drinking with my close friends. And if I absolutely couldn't, it's pretty easy to just avoid them and never let them see my emotions. Although I was more of the kind of person who would just override my emotions with drinks or a good party drug. Well, without that accountability of someone else being affected by my moods, it was easy to be in denial about them, even if I was just avoiding them by binge-watching Netflix. So when I did have that sort of live-in reflection of me, I had done enough work by then to realize that this was going to be my next mission. Well, a big step in changing my own patterns was first reframing how I felt about my emotions. Understanding that I'm an empath was pretty huge because I started to see that emotions weren't just these big volatile feelings that could bring me down. They might not even be mine. And they were a way for me to sense things in my environment. They were a way for my intuition to speak to me as long as I was willing to listen. So in that sense, emotions are superpowers. I also started to understand that emotions needed to be felt so that they could run their course, otherwise they'd build up and leak out at the worst times in the worst ways. And finally, I needed to understand that I really do have more control over what I let affect me or trigger me than I give myself credit for. There's a moment between a trigger and a reaction that I can choose to pause and reframe the experience so that it doesn't create a whole downward spiral. So reframing how you feel about your emotions and your relationship to them is really the first step, because it's hard to reframe an experience if you're doing it out of fear or if you think that your reaction is inevitable anyways. And from there, we can start to learn the tools for reframing our most common moods and what's really beneath them. And I'll give you a hint. What's really at the root of our moods is usually not what we're reacting to at all. Our guest today is Lauren Martin. She's the founder of Words of Women and author of the Book of Moods. Five years ago, Lauren Martin was pretty sure that there was something wrong with her. She had a good job in New York, a great apartment, a boyfriend, yet every day she seemed to fall into a mood, whether irritable or anxious or lost. Well, after a chance encounter with a stranger who said she also felt these things, Lauren set out to better understand these moods and the hold that they had on her. So she started blogging about it. Well, the blog exploded with people who could relate, and now she's got a whole book, a movement, and a purpose around it. So she's here to show us that you really can turn your worst moods into your best life. And three key things we will learn are what our moods are trying to tell us, how to shorten a whole mood into a moment, and we break down the most common moods and how to deal with them in a way that will create new emotional habits. And just a warning, for some reason... The recording of my voice in this interview is just a little lower quality than I would like it to be, but there's still a ton of value, so hopefully it doesn't bother you too much. But before we dive in, do you wish you could start each day with a little help towards a better mood? Just sign up for The Morning Mind Love for daily inspirational messages right to your inbox. I get messages from people every single day about how The Morning Mind Love is their favorite way to start their day, or that the message that came through is exactly what they needed to hear. It's kind of like your own personal inspiration oracle. Just visit mindlove.com and sign up right there on the homepage. Plus, you'll get some amazing free gifts when you do, like a free guided binaural affirmation meditation designed to rewire your brain to your highest self. And you'll get one of my favorite tools, a booklet of my personal powerless to help you gain clarity and live each day with intention. And it's all completely free. Just go to mindlove.com to sign up. Or if you're out and about, text the word morning to 33777. That's morning to 33777. And now let's welcome Lauren Martin to the show. Thank you so much, Melissa. I'm really excited to be here. So what initially piqued your interest on studying moods? So I actually had this um, kind of
2: awakening when I moved in with my boyfriend who's now my husband. It was the first time I ever really lived with anyone. It was my first like real grown up relationship and um, I'd come home from work and it was a really long day. It was just a bad day and it had been a bad week and probably a bad month and I came home and he was making dinner and I was just in a bad mood, and that was normal for me, and it's just like he was trying to cheer me up. you know he was like pouring me wine, and I just couldn't get out of this funk and eventually he just snapped, and we got in this fight, and I remember he eventually said, "I just can't do this anymore like I cannot deal with you and your moods. It's exhausting and he's a very level-headed guy for him to kind of like say this and to freak out and really get angry at men a lot and I had this awakening like geez like." all right, like, I really got to take a look at myself. And, you know, these moods don't just affect me now, they affect those who are around me and those that I'm living with. And that kind of started this whole like five year journey into this, like, what is going on with me? What is happening? Why is it happening? And let me study it.
1: I can relate to that so much. It's so interesting that when suddenly you are living with somebody they're a reflection for your moods. The amount of moods I had that I didn't even realize I had because I wasn't interacting with another human. <laughs> it was like, oh, I actually am moody. I'm not just even keeled. The difference is, is like a mood's not coming out when I'm like watching Friends reruns. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly.
2: And I think you know that's the biggest thing is moods are energy and you know, energy can't be created or destroyed. It just is transferred. And that's the same with your mood. Like, and people sense your mood. And I talked about in the book about how I started sensing other people's and how also I could see how like my bad mood would affect my husband. And then it would affect his mom when he talked to her on the phone. And I started to realize it was this whole chain reaction. And like, I felt like I was like, what's it? Uh, when Harry met Sally, when she thinks she's low, like low maintenance, which is actually super high maintenance. I was like, (laughs) Oh my God, I'm like this moody, crazy
1: woman. It's funny because I had a realization one day I was, (laughs) so I was on Twitter and I engaged with somebody that I don't know, like it meant nothing. The fact that a Twitter conversation could get me in a mood, Like It was some combative response that I was like, do I really have to go into all this research right now is how I was feeling. This was a few years ago. And all of a sudden, my husband walks into the room and he says something and then I kind of snapped at him. And then Mm -hmm. he walks upstairs in a worse mood. And I was like, whoa, this random person on Twitter just affected my mood or my mood was affected. I don't really like placing the blame on somebody else. And then I transferred it over to my husband, who knows who he who he transferred it to. And it made me a lot more cognizant of even what I put out there. Even if it is like a social media post or like snapping back at somebody, it's like, what kind of karma did I create that's more so than just that one
2: interaction? Yeah, like what energy am I adding to this world right now? Is it good or is it bad? And like, it's so crazy, cause you now know like who can affect you. And so now it's like, wow, how many people am I affecting on a daily basis when I'm in a bad mood? So
1: what are moods exactly? Are they the same as big emotions and emotional response? What really defines a mood? So the neuroscientists have confirmed
2: that an emotion only lasts 60 to 90 seconds. So a mood is basically anything that lasts after that. I call it The residual effect of an emotion and it's when we have chosen to keep this thought this circuit of this feeling running So technically when something happens to you when you're triggered That feeling that anger or that shame or that pain or that sadness should only technically last 60 to 90 seconds When you're in a mood that's when you choose to keep thinking about it And that's when you consciously are making that feeling keep running through you so basically I would figured out, okay, like I'm allowed to feel things and I'm always going to feel things, but I need to stop this circuit. Like after 90 seconds, I shouldn't still be affected. I shouldn't be wasting my whole day in a funk because, as you said, someone on Twitter is like being aggressive or someone says something I don't like. And so that's kind of how I differentiate it. Like you're allowed to feel it. But when you keep feeling it is really when you've delved into this mood.
1: I like how you emphasized choose and consciously like choosing to keep the focus on that. Because I think so often we disempower ourselves by saying, well, this triggered me, this person did this, and now I feel this way. You you ruined my mood. But yes, you might feel an emotional response that's automatic, that you didn't have enough time to guard, or maybe that's not even healthy to just guard yourself, keeping a guard up. But then, what are you going to do after that? And you hear so often like you can't choose what happens to you, but you can always choose how you respond. And I think this is giving me a different view of that in that you we're thinking of how to respond to that person still directly in line with that original trigger. When what we could be choosing is to just figure out how to breathe through it or feel the emotion without giving more power to the story and allow it to run through us. That's exactly it. I mean, the main
2: thing, and I also attributed this to people who've read, I think it's the five love languages, I can't, five or seven. And I feel like we all have our own individual triggers. And when you can realize that and kind of start identifying them, it's like, okay, this is a trigger for me it's empowering to be able to be like, this is something that, that affects me. Yeah. It doesn't affect my husband. It doesn't affect my friends, but this is my specific trigger. And I can choose to identify it and not react to it or have my small reaction and then move on from it. And I think it's kind of liberating to be able to be like, okay, this is my trigger. Like this is what affects me.
1: Yeah. That's been one of my main messages, like on social media throughout this whole pandemic, just because for me, I'm an empath. And so I can feel other people's moods pretty heavily. And so that's what will bring me down more so than what's actually happening out there. And so I tend to make my message around that. And one of the things that I emphasize is that, you know, your triggers aren't somebody else's responsibility. I I really don't like the whole people jumping at people saying, there should be a trigger warning on this or, or whatever. And I'm just like, No, you know, the whole world is a trigger. Your whole life experience is a trigger for somebody. And so when we start to identify those triggers, what do we do? Should we try to avoid our triggers? Should we try to work through our triggers? What have you found in your research? And if this is your first time giving your mind a little love, I have a few goodies for you. First, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And second, sign up for the Morning Mind Love. Think of it like a weekday oracle from your highest self to help you start each day with a positive focus. Plus, you'll get two gifts absolutely free, a 30-minute binaural meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you remember who you truly are. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up or text the word morning to 33777. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney Show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney Show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. What do we do? Should we try to avoid our triggers should we try to work through our triggers what have you found in your research
2: so I basically tried to ignore my like avoid them that was like and I talk about this in the book like I was like all right like I've identified the things that put me in a mood and I my mom a comment from her so like I talked on the phone to her less um you know, social media triggered me. I was like, there's so many beautiful women out there. And then if I like was having a bad hair day, I felt terrible. So I started to realize what my triggers were and tried to avoid them and then realized you can't like one trigger was replaced by another. So I wasn't talking to my mom, like something my husband said would trigger me. Like there was something that in a comment, or if I wasn't on social media, like a beautiful girl on the subway would trigger me. So I was like, all right, I cannot avoid triggers like that's life life is triggering like it's always it's supposed to be like it's hard and and we are especially as women we are more emotional and and i talk going into the science about why we're more of empaths and you know how evolution has created us has created through the need to protect our children and you know propagate the species we are attuned to look out to these cues of emotional you know distress in others and that causes us to have more anxiety and more stress Um, so I was like, you know what? I can't avoid these triggers. I can't avoid who I am. I'm, I know I'm, you know, an emotional woman. So what I want to do is start changing how I react to these triggers and how I start seeing them. And basically over five years, I just started trying different things. And I, I was studying like psychology. I studied different religions and the things that worked went into the book and I still use today and the things just didn't. And Basically, it's a distillation of all the different unique mantras and sayings or, you know, tricks and psychological tricks that help me. And,
1: um, yeah, it's like chock full of them. Yeah, I was going through some of them and it's I can't believe how much I resonate with every single mood. (laughs) Like, I'm like, yep, I could immediately recall moments not even just in my lifetime but like in the last like week (laughs) with almost all of them are these moods that you've identified universal or were you mostly pinpointing yours just kind of hoping they'd be universal
2: I think they're universal they so I basically distilled them down um the mood would be I'll show you one example in the book but then it'll 20 other times it would happen but it'd be through a different trigger a different example but then I started to understand once I started identifying it like okay this is like work, like this is depletion. So like any, and it didn't have to be work when I realized I was depleted, I didn't have to be actually at my job, I could be depleted on the weekend, but I started to recognize the feeling of it. So even though I've categorized it as like, this is my work mood, this is my family mood, this is my, you know, feel ugly mood, The trigger, I think, is universal and the feeling is universal. So what's really work is depletion and what's really feeling ugly is the ego. So you really have to get deep down into that and understand the core of the feeling that you're having, the core of the mood. And those are totally universal. So it's like anxiety, which is the past and the future for me, depletion, the ego There's friendship, which kind of goes into like loneliness. There's just so there's seven of them, and I feel like I just kept having the same experiences over and over again. They were different experiences, but the feeling was the same. So, so yeah, I'm glad you resonate because I do feel like every woman has experienced at least one of these moments where like your mom or your aunt makes a comment, or you wake up one day and you have a huge zit and you don't want to go to work and you know it's so ridiculous. Like you're like it's just as it, like it's not a big deal. Don't feel yourself because of it, and I just got so tired of going through my life, like wasting it being like, why am I depressed over a pimple right now? Like this should not be happening. And so that's kind of like the same experience kept happening over and over again in different forms. And that's how I started to kind of get a grasp on it.
1: That was the one that was surprising to me because the moment I started reading it, it was the one about beauty or the ego and basically feeling ugly is a mood where you like, don't want to go somewhere. You don't, you sit things out and, it was surprising because I'm like, could that be a mood? And then it was, it was just like, it hit me over the head. Like, oh my gosh, that's been a big mood throughout since I was, I don't know, probably at 12 (laughs) at different times. What is it about feeling ugly? What did you find about that? That sets off an entire mood?
2: So I feel like there's two parts to it. The first is that it's a very private pain. Like it's a, it's a pain that, I think you can't share because people will call you vain. So it's like one of those pains that's like embarrassing to admit, like to say like, you know, when you would tell your mom, like, I don't want to go, mom, I feel ugly. She'd be like, shut up. Like, don't be vain. You're like, stop it. And that's a big thing, especially when you're trying to explain it. If you're married, like your husband obviously like loves you and thinks you're beautiful, but like, you know how you feel. And it's, it never, it doesn't matter what he thinks at the end of the day, it's how you feel about yourself. So it's such a private pain. And I think that's what really causes it. Cause we're kind of like sitting in ourselves and it's festering. And I just think that like, it's not talked about enough. And I think because it seems vain to talk about, but it's like, I talk about my friend Valerie, who I thought was so beautiful. Like she was so beautiful. And then I went out with her and she was the most insecure woman and just so miserable as well. And she was telling me all this stuff she would change about herself. And I was like, wow, every single woman feels this way. And it's, we're ruining our lives over it. Like, especially our youth, because when I look back, I'm like, why was I so hard on myself? Like I looked great back then. Like, but every year it's the same. I'm like, I don't look good. I don't look good. So I feel like this mood is just this private pain that until we start talking about, we can start to finally be like, okay, okay. I'm not alone in this feeling. And now I can really work through it better. And um, it's not embarrassing to talk about. It. It's not embarrassing to admit that feeling ugly is something society has kind of created. And the cosmetic industry wants us to feel this way. So I think that's really the, where the crux of the mood comes from. And, and the more we talk about it and feel less alone,
1: the better it'll be. Yeah, I was really intrigued by the study you cited uh, about selfies. And basically, there were Three groups of people. Do you want to talk more about that? All right. So they basically did a study, I think it was like 110
2: undergrad students at a university. And they basically were assigned to one of three groups. One, they uh, the participants were asked to take just a single photo and upload it on their social media. The next group was asked to do the same thing, but they could retouch their photo, like use filters and whatever. And the third group didn't have to post a selfie at all. They were like told to like look up travel ideas. Um, and they, the participants were evaluated on their moods before and after the experiment. And the, basically they found that the women who posted selfies in the first two groups reported feeling more anxious, less confident, and more physically unattractive than the women who didn't upload selfies actually the mean level of anxiety increased by 10%. And those who didn't post a selfie dropped 15%. So it basically just shows even the girls who could use a filter still, I think they had like a seven or a 5.5% increase of anxiety when they left the room. So it's like, we're doing these things and we feel this, maybe it's an instant of satisfaction. when We post a selfie at the end of the day after posting, we're always going to feel worse about ourselves because we just start comparing it we start wondering oosh do I look vain should I have posted that can people tell us so it's like it's never good but we still do it anyway but we're doing it because we feel like we need to do it and we need to like put ourselves out there and stay relevant and maybe this is a way we'll find our next boyfriend or husband and we're just doing all these things that we don't even understand are contributing to this anxiety we feel and usually we don't know why we feel it and it's because we've done something as simple as posting a selfie
1: Right. And I found it interesting too, because the ones who didn't get to retouch had more anxiety and their confidence dropped more. And the ones who got to retouch, they had a little bit less anxiety, but still more than they started with and their confidence still dropped, but less than the ones who couldn't retouch. But I'm thinking in my head that that might be in that moment, but I noticed there were times in the past that I've like overly retouched stuff. And then I go back and I'm, I have a false comparison. And so you're looking back and it's like, well, I, I looked so much better back then. Wait, hold on. I spent like 20 minutes retouching this thing. I'd have never looked like that before, technically. We're basically like gaslighting
2: ourselves or basically being like, oh, look how pretty you were. But that's not even real as well. And like, I don't know. It's just, we, we surround ourselves with this fakeness But really, and I talk about this in the book, like, there are ways to kind of get around this. And it's kind of like, I know you can't get off social media, I can't get off social media, which is why I created Words of Women, which was like, all right, maybe if we are scrolling through and we see more content, that's less like hot girl at the beach, hot girl in her bathroom, my best friend, hot girl, whatever, we can start to like, Feel differently about what we're supposed to be seeing and and comparing ourselves to and so I started deciding to put like affirmations and quotes and women who weren't known for their beauty and there was one quote that really stuck with me that I found in all this research and it wasn't like a research thing it was just a quote I stumbled upon and it was um you're not pretty like her you're pretty like you and that to me just completely switched something in my brain like I don't know what it was but it was like yeah wait a second I'm not pretty like Emily Bratowski. I'm not pretty like this girl. I'm pretty like how I am. And I have these beautiful qualities that I know my husband can see and I know people see, but also I know that like, I don't see me how other people see me and I need to start, you know, taking more pride in, I know who I am and I love who I am and that's it.
1: Right. I remember reading this, somebody recommended a book that he said changed his life and it was a sci-fi book, which I've never read before, but it's, called Strange Man in a Strange Land, something like that. (laughs) Um, But it was really good. It was one of those where it was a story, but it was just full of lessons. And it's, it's so interesting. But basically like this alien comes and he's like a man and he kind of transforms the way people think. And one of the things he was talking about was beauty. And he kept looking at this one woman and like talking about how the women were all like trying to fit this standard, but where he came from, beauty was all about the uniqueness and like the glow and the energy that somebody brought. And that's something that I tune into to this day where I'm just like, no, nobody looks like me. You know, like it's like a shame when dirty dancing woman, Jennifer, something had a very distinct nose, and her career was taking off. And then she like got a nose job to fit the standards of beauty, and her career just died. It's just sad that we often want to take away what makes us unique to fit in with this mold, this standard of what. Who even knows? Like beauty's changing decade after decade. What was beautiful a hundred years ago is not even beautiful today and today's standards. You know what I mean? Oh, totally. I, I
2: posted something today that was like, I think it was from like, and Dowd, And she basically was like, I feel like there's going to come a day where where people are going to get so used to perfection. And just like, you know, this whole like Kim Kardashian look, that like, all of a sudden, like laugh lines and wrinkles and uniqueness is going to become like the standard of beauty. And I really loved that idea just of like, the trend is shipped so much towards this, like, Barbie perfection it can shift back and maybe the women who have like bumps on their noses and the women who don't have this like curvaceous body or the women who have a curvaceous body well and who but who aren't perfect will be considered beautiful and we're going to start to celebrate each other's individuality for once
1: another of the moods that you talked about that I wanted to go into because I just think it's so relevant and by the way every single mood I was reading through and I was like oh my gosh like lockdowns and like everything we're going through is basically exacerbating all of these moods so if you're at home listening to this wondering why your emotions are all over the place just understand that we're we're basically living in a trigger bubble but the past and future mood you had a line in there that said Basically, it's attributing every thought, every painful memory, every future problem to some person and some reason. And I think we all get caught up in that. So can you explain more of what that mood is? I'm constantly sharing with my clients to stop searching in life and instead start aligning.
0: All rely on it too, which to me says a lot about its effectiveness. Here's what makes them really unique. They recently launched a hot chocolate line with flavors like chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. Ever since I went alcohol-free, I've been really intentional about luxurious, health-focused drinks, so I can sit back and unwind while actually doing good for my body. And the Element Chocolate Chai is great for relaxing in the evening or warming up after winter sports. And you can try Element totally risk-free. If you don't like it, you'll get your money back, no questions asked. Receive a free Element sample pack with any order when you purchase through drinkelement.com slash mindlove. That's drinklmnt.com slash mindlove to get a free starter pack with any order.
1: The past and future mood, uh, you had a line in there that said basically it's attributing every thought, every painful memory, every future problem to some person and some reason. And I think we all get caught up in that. So, can you explain more of what that
2: mood is? Yeah. So, I talk about in this chapter kind of like I set the scene with like me and my husband at Whole Foods. We just got back from vacation. We had a great time. We were, you know, happy, in love. We live in New York. Like, I'm, have everything I need and he goes into Whole Foods to just grab a few items for dinner and I I wait outside with the suitcases and in that like five minutes I get an email from my boss and it's it's a little bit aggressive it's like you know is the presentation ready for next week and it kind of just like rips me out of this like you know nice little bubble I'm in and it starts this spiral of thoughts and it's like okay it's just a work email it's no big deal but all of a sudden I'm thinking about work next week and groceries next week and commuting and okay, is this ready? And so when my husband comes out of the grocery store, I'm in a bad mood and he has no idea why. And come to think of it, like I have no idea why. And so I start to dissect it and realize like, especially women, I think we, well, they say women are twice as likely to attribute like negative events of the past to the present and just like these what if scenarios. And we worry twice as much as men. But I feel like the main thing is just, And I don't always want to be like, what the plight of the woman, but I do feel like women have this whole list of contradictory things we have to do, right? Get pregnant, have a career, have a career that's fine with you getting pregnant, be healthy, but don't waste too much money, like being healthy because you need to have rent and be beautiful, but don't care about being beautiful and, you know, save money, but also go out with your friends and like drink less alcohol, but also, and it's like this whole list of contradictions are constantly like there in the back of our minds. So All of a sudden, we get very wrapped up in all these things that we feel like we need to be doing or we should be doing. And that is the epitome of anxiety. And it's when your thoughts just get away from you. And I realized, like, I can't, I need to get a handle on this. Like, I need to start noticing when my thoughts are doing this. And we do it all the time. And I think we don't really understand what, like, anxiety is. Most of the time, it's just worrying. It's worrying about the future, it's worrying about what's about to happen next. And the second you realize that is this, the close, this, like the closer you are to liberating yourself from it.
1: Yeah. That's something I've been focusing on just because my emotions have been so all over the place being pregnant. Like there was like a five day period of time that I was sure I had pregnancy depression. Like I got lower than I've been in a while. And normally it can lift after a day, but I was like, it's still here. It's still here. And then I, I, basically ended up crying for like six hours one day and the next day it had just lifted so I do think there's something to be said about allowing yourself to feel those because it's another one of the contradictory emotions where or the contradictory messages that we get is like well women are emotional and they're too emotional and your feelings are too big. And so then we have some guilt about having those feelings or about being low and not wanting to bring somebody else down. And so we hold them in and in holding them in, they just get trapped in our bodies and they never really release. And so then it extends a little bit to the next day and to the next day. Whereas we think we're like doing the empowering thing by, by not showing our emotions, but in fact, we're actually doing ourselves a disservice
2: oh, yeah, because it's just going to come out later and it's going to come out worse and it's going to come out at a time that seems super unwarranted. And, you know, that kind of also goes into I really didn't want to talk about, like, the body and hormones and stuff. But I did put a chapter in there because, you know, women, our physiology is so complex. They can't even – we're underrepresented in medical trials because for scientists who – evaluate us and how long it takes for a drug to metabolize is so complex because women have anywhere from like two to four different physiologies which is like we could be ovulating we could be pregnant we could be on our period or we couldn't you know be not have our period so like we're always you know our hormones are moving and they're fluctuating and our we need to give ourselves that safe space to allow ourselves to be like, I'm having a bad day or like I'm feeling emotional and I'm a little depressed or I'm a little sad today. And I'm going to give myself the space in the room to feel it and maybe let it out instead of trying to like bottle it up all the time and pretend that these things don't exist.
1: Yeah. And one thing that's been really helpful for me is even reframing the way I look at my own moods because When you feel disempowered by your own moods, it's harder to take one of these empowered actions that we recommend. And so if you're constantly telling yourself like, oh my gosh, I'm too emotional. My emotions are too big. One of my close friends had that story. Her ex-boyfriend had always told her that she had too big of emotions. And so I remember when they broke up, she was like worried about dating people because she didn't want to show that side of herself. And it became my mission to tell her that, you know, emotions or being emotional can also be powerful if we learn how to work with them, because our moods tell us a lot about ourselves, what we're going through. It tells us about how we can sense them from other people. We can it's basically a direct connection to our intuition. And so yeah, I in understanding that it's not like all of a sudden, my moods were gone. But it gave me a different story to tell behind it. And it's oftentimes that story that we attach to the emotion that ends up choosing if it's going to go down the negative path or the higher path.
2: Totally. It's, it's really liberating to be able to name something I think. And I think that's like the biggest mood for me is depletion. So like that chapter was huge for me and that's under work. I would come home and not understand why I was in a bad mood, even if the day had gone well. And that's because we, it's a a psychological concept or theory that we start each day with like a level of willpower, like a battery. And as we go through the day, it depletes and By the end of the day, your willpower, your ability to make decisions, your ability to be charming even though you're tired is completely – it's lowered. And there's been all these studies, like prison guards basically who were doing parole. They found at the beginning of the day they were more likely to give parole to really look at um, a prisoner's files, whereas by the end of the day, when they were depleted, there was like a much higher rate of them not giving parole. And it usually came down to them just being too tired to deal with it. And so for me – I now recognize when I'm depleted and and my husband too, he's, we both realize this and we do this amazing thing where we say to each other like, Hey, like I'm depleted. I'm going to go take an hour and watch Real Housewives like alone by myself before I make dinner because that, and that's empowering to know like, this is what I need because this is what's going on with me right now. And I think if you and your spouse both understand that it's really it's really nice. And he can be like, I'm going to play video or I feel like you're depleted. Go play like video games. And it's, it's so empowering. And it's honestly like it's changed our whole relationship and the way I function. Cause I can now just be like, all right, I'm taking an hour break and I always feel better after I take care of myself.
1: I totally agree with that. It reminds me of when I was first understanding that I am (laughs) a pretty intense empath. I had never understood why I felt so depleted in, in situations mm. where sometimes other people would feel so enlivened. And what I realize is, like, when I go to, say, we visit my husband's family in Michigan every Fourth of July, and we normally stay for a week, and first of all, they are the Easiest people to be around. Like every single one of them is so laid back. It's so opposite of my family. I go to my mom's house and she's like putting me to work immediately. And so within like two days though, all of a sudden I'd almost feel cranky and I'd be like hiding out. And to me, for a while, I had internalized that. Like, what's wrong with me? Like, can I not get along with like really good people? Like, what is this? Like, we're in the middle of the woods and there's not a lot of work to be done. Like, I should be energized. And I realized that all I really needed was to go at least once a day and take like an hour to myself doing whatever. (laughs) It doesn't matter what I'm doing. I just need alone time, taking a walk, just going and watching a movie, whatever. And it's funny because I've always been really bad with boundaries. I almost have felt guilty. I'm, I'm much better now, but before like 20s and earlier, I... Felt selfish enforcing a boundary, or it felt it just felt I wasn't used to it. And allowing something, whether it's the idea of depletion of a mood or somehow knowing yourself to where you're like, I need this, and here's the science, can sometimes kind of take that off our shoulders of being like, No, this is a boundary that should have been set in place. It's not that I'm just, I mean, you should have no problem. Enforcing your own boundaries. But if you see what I'm trying to say, it's just that it was an empowering moment for me to be like, this is a standard that we're going to set within our relationship. You know this about me. So when I ask, it's not a new thing every single time. And sometimes he will suggest it. He's like, do you need to be alone? Do you need to go take a walk? Like, what do you need from me? And it makes us feel. Closer, even though technically (laughs) we're like enforcing being more separate, if that makes sense.
2: Oh, totally. I trust me, I get it. My husband's family is from London so it's like every time we see them it's like a good you know 10 day trip and 10 days with anyone is going (laughs) you know we used to fight about it a lot because he'd be like I don't know if we should go visit my parents because I feel like you're gonna have a meltdown after day five and I've like recently been like hey like I feel much more in control of myself I mean since the book started right I mean since I started writing the book five years ago I'd say the last year really when it was finishing and I really had a better understanding of myself was I able to like go there and like have fight-free trip and never in my life have I really done that with like a long two-week thing and I talk about this in the book like I also never knew how to say no and I realized like saying no was so much better than saying yes but like having a breakdown later or like melting (laughs) down like myself. Like, I just realized like, okay, I'd rather just say no and be the party pooper and like sit this one out for dinner or a lunch or just not go to the mall with everyone. And that's
1: going to be better <laughs> me having meltdown. So another mood I wanted to touch on because I feel like it's so relevant right now is the one about friends. Um, because one of the symptoms you say includes like isolation, paranoia, an unhealthy obsession with read receipts, What is the friend's mood about? So the friend's mood is
2: basically like, I think it boils down to almost a little like beauty, our perception of what our friendships should be like in our 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. Like I feel like we have this idea and it's like sex in the city and girls and all these shows, which is like, Oh, you're in your thirties. You should be going out to brunch with all these women and you should have these really close friendships. And what happened was I reached my thirties and I was getting married and I felt, and when you're getting married, people always say it's, like, stressful, I was always, like, why? Like, I'm chill, like, it's not, and I realized it's stressful, because you're forced to really confront your life and evaluate it, and you're forced to all of a sudden, like, see who your friends are, who you're inviting, and I was, like, shoot, like, I feel, you know, like, I don't have the friendships I think I should have, and I think loneliness is a pervading emotion in a lot of women and I think in a lot of people. And I talk about like Dr. Psychologist, Dr. Um, Jean Baker Miller, who really studied female relationships. And she basically proposed that women's sense of self revolves around our ability to maintain um, relationships. And when we don't maintain them, like when we grow apart from people, which inevitably happens because people start having kids, people get married, that break feels like a loss of self and I feel like women just we isolate we feel rejected or we feel hurt or scared and then we isolate and then it's just this like self-fulfilling prophecy and that's kind of the mood I was in this spiral of like oh like I'm I feel lonely but I'm not going to text her because I felt like she you know she acted weird the last time we texted or she should be texting me and then the loneliness just keeps going and what happens is like the energy i was putting out was obviously i wasn't texting people i was self isolating so so scared of rejection yet at the same time so wanting connection but people pick up on your energy and it just kind of kept me in this you know self fulfilling prophecy of being and feeling lonely and i think once you reconcile like okay i don't have the friendships i thought i was going to have but this is reality and people change and life changes and I cannot always make new friends is when you can start to turn that around a little bit.
1: Right. The amount of times that I've said out loud, I just want those like sex in the city type friendships. And I've never really thought about it being kind of, I mean, it's not, I don't think it's completely unreachable. I'm sure some people have it, but I don't think it's, it's common, especially because I moved around a lot. It was actually like a self-protective thing that I did through my twenties. And so I was in a sorority for a bit and then I dropped and then I moved to Texas and then I moved to Hawaii and I I just kept moving around. And so every time I left with social media, I'd be able to see the friends I left behind and they're still meeting up and I would just feel, it was like a breakup, you know? It was just like, it felt like rejection. And now I'm going through pregnancy and I'm kind of dealing with that, like you dealt with around wedding time, which I also dealt with again, where I'm like, okay, well, I've been kind of cultivating certain friendships, and then I'm like, well, do they want to still hang out with me? I'm like seven months pregnant. Like, is it a bad investment for them now? Because then soon I'm just gonna have a toddler with me, like all the time. When am I gonna be able to leave the top, like the child by itself? Like, there's so much that goes into it, and I didn't really realize that I was tying all of those feelings back to that, which can then be associated with or affecting my moods. Exactly,
2: and it's like I think it's also the way. We perceive, like I talk about in the book, like, I felt like when my friends were hanging out without me or friends that like I'm friends with, not that close with, who I would never text. And if I saw them hanging out without me, all of a sudden I just was like, wow, they like chose not to invite me. That's not the case at all. They just like weren't thinking about you. And someone not thinking about you doesn't mean they don't like you. And I kind of try and bring that around by like, how many times have you done something and it wasn't at all about the person who wasn't there. It was about the person you were just meeting up with. And I think it's that changing that perception and also just getting more comfortable with like this is my life. I'm pregnant and my friendships are probably going to change because of it. And if they don't, that's great. But you know, if they do, I'll make new friends. I'll make friends with like the kids at nursery school, like the parents. And I think we just need to start one, opening ourselves up to that possibility that like every stage of life has more like friendships to be made because the more insecure we get about our friendships, the less open we become. And then it just gets harder and harder.
1: So I think we do have time for one more, which I also think is really relevant with everything going on in the world, and especially with the holidays coming up, although this is going to air right after the holidays. But the one about family, because the symptoms are judgment, rage, disappointment, and (laughs) some of the mindset shifts you include are about like, understanding that you don't understand. And right now, the amount of people that have reached out to me saying something along the lines of being so hurt that there's so much division in their family or like the judgment around politics or around how people are handling the pandemic and all of this stuff. So can you explain a little bit more about what the family mood is?
2: Yeah. So the family mood um, was definitely one my mom was nervous about reading. Um, and- <laughs> Luckily for her, the story is more about my aunt and a comment that she makes that kind of triggers me at last Christmas. But, you know, I've always been triggered by my family. We all are. And that's because they're not, they're these people who attach to them, have all these memories of us. And we know that they've seen our worst moments. And, you know, I used to get so offended by like every time my mom would make a comment or my aunt. And then I realized they're always going to make that comment because that's their role. And I talk about this in the chapter about there's a famous family psychologist and she believes there's five styles of communications in in every single family. And we basically, from a young age, just like adopt a certain role. Like, and there's like blamers, computers, people who make a joke of everything, you know, people who are a little more difficult and we keep trying to change each other. Like people try and change their parents' politics. That's never going to happen. And I think it's really liberating to just accept people especially our family, as they are, which is almost as hard as accepting ourselves, like to be like, okay, these are my parents. And my mom is always going to be like this. She loves me, but she might make a comment about my weight. And she always will. This is my dad. He's very intense in his political views. But like, that's him and I'm not going to change him. And when you stop trying to change them and stop going in with these expectations, which I think we put on not just ourselves, but our family, I think we're always putting expectations when we go in it, just being like, this is who my family is. It's so much easier and lighter. And I just think we need to kind of give everyone a little bit of a break. And I think also, I think reconciling with like, They love you despite everything they've seen. You guys are family. That's the beauty of it. I think that's kind of where it comes down to. But my mood was always triggered by my family. Now it's like, oh, no big deal.
1: Basically, with all of these different moods, there's a trigger, there's a response, and there's that moment between the 60 and 90 seconds and whether or not you choose to give more power to whatever that story was or that trigger was. What do you personally do in the moment to kind of allow that to pass through and avoid giving more power to the story. So
2: once you read the book and really can ex- like identify the feeling that's associated with the triggering, you'll know it once you start seeing it like over and over again, some things will stick and some won't like for me, I've just really learned to put things in perspective. Like I think the more you do something, the better, you know, your brain gets rewired in that way. So like for an example, I got my first like one-star review the other day. It wasn't a review, it was just like some random girl on Goodreads gave it like one out of five stars, which of course I saw. And I was like in the car, on the way to the shore with my husband, and I was like, this hurts. Like this is clearly like me. My ego is upset right now. I'm just hurt. And I can let this derail my whole day or I can try and put it in perspective. So by putting it in perspective, I was like, you know what? Let me look up a book that I love and look at the reviews. And I did that. And they had, out of like 100,000 readings, they had like 15,000 one-star reviews. And I was like, look, see Lauren, like you are not the only person this is happening to. Like this happens. This is part of being a writer. This is life. And I think the more moods you experience, the more you learn to put them in perspective, the more you learn like what, what's going to make me feel better. What's going to get me out of this. So I mentioned before like, that mantra for me, every time I feel like, you know, ugly, or, you know, I'm going out to dinner, and there's some like beautiful girls, I just instantly repeat, like, you're not pretty like her, you're pretty like you. And it just completely changes my perspective. So it's stuff like that. And like, when my mom says something, I just now I instantly revert to like, this is her role. This is her role. Like, there's just things you're going to pick up through the book and things that I've picked up through life that i put in here that are all about changing that perspective in those 60 seconds, which it's gonna take time and it's not life changing, but the more you do it, I think the less intense the feeling feels and the quicker it kind of dissipates.
1: Right. That's actually basically the premise of this whole podcast is learning how to expand your mind a little bit or shift your mind to something from from something that's disempowering to something that's empowering. And what's really helps me to do that is that I've been focusing on especially lately is When that happens, because my mind is so powerful, it's like used to spend the time kind of grappling where my mind wanted to go down the rabbit hole and I'm trying to replace it with more empowering thoughts, but it was like split into two and I couldn't really do anything and it just felt like internal dissonance. And now what I've been doing is just focusing on my body, like breathing, and it's helpful for me to be like, Well, what am I feeling right now? Oh, it's anxiety. Where is that in my body? And suddenly I'm focusing on my own response. And just in doing that and in breathing, it starts to regulate. And then it gives me a little bit more power to shift to that more empowering perspective or to, you know, give the person the benefit of the doubt or give myself the benefit of the doubt or whatever I need in that moment. So thank you so much for all the research that you did. And it's such an entertaining book. I love all the stories in it. I ended up getting sucked in for longer than I thought I would even just right before this. So for listeners that are interested in learning more about you and reading your book, where's the best place that they can connect with you online? So
2: words of women is my brand. It's the Instagram. I talk about it in the book, but that's kind of like where I built this from. So, um, Instagram, it's just words of women. Um, words of is the website. And, um, there's also words of women, Facebook, And then the book is available everywhere. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, IndieBound, local bookstores. And yeah, I just so appreciate it. I feel like you totally understood the book and understood, you know, what I was trying to get out of it. And that's really kind of what I want. I just want, I feel like every woman should have their own reaction to it and feeling to it. And I hope every woman like you feels like they see themselves a little bit in the book as well.
1: All of the links from this episode will be at mindlove.com slash 165. So your challenge for this week is to check your moods. (laughs) Seriously, though, check your moods. Start to notice when you fall into a mood. For some of you, it may be such a regular occurrence that you stop noticing you did it. You just think it's a part of your life. From 2 p.m. to 4 p.m., I'm always a little moody. Or before my coffee, I'm cranky. Well, guess what? Those are opportunities blessed to you by the universe to level up your life. Stop looking at the world and its triggers as these things that are somehow imposing themselves on you. Your whole job here, the reason that your soul chose to incarnate into this body is to level yourself up spiritually. And all of these triggers, all of life's unexpected circumstances that create these deep moods. Those are the things that you're here to learn to overcome. That doesn't mean you don't feel. That doesn't mean you just overpower everything with positive thinking. But it does mean that you use these moments for self-reflection. You try to understand, am I actually upset because my husband forgot to bring my favorite kombucha home from the grocery store? Or is there something more deeply rooted? Can I maybe work on my expectations, or my desire for immediate satisfaction, or seeking things outside of myself to somehow cause comfort? Whatever that may be, it might be different for each of you, it might be different for each time that you're triggered, or you might start to notice some deeply ingrained patterns in yourself. And let me know how it goes. Reach out to me on Instagram at mindlovemelissa. And while you're at it, take a screenshot of this, share your favorite takeaway, and tag me at mindlovemelissa and words of wisdom on Instagram. If you love Mind Love, please consider leaving a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. I absolutely love them. I know I drill this in every time, but seriously, they are what keeps me alive. (laughs) So I sincerely hope that your 2021 is starting off with a bang. I'm recording this before 2021, so I'm just like sitting here, fingers crossed, really hoping (laughs) that all the inspirational content I'm putting out there is aligned with how inspiring the year is really going for everyone. But we'll see. (laughs) If you're interested in joining a community of high vibrational beings or getting extra episodes, check out mindlove.com premium for your options there. I've got a few great options to get involved with the Mind Love tribe. And otherwise, thanks for giving your mind a little love today, and I'll see you next week.
0: Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to
1: mindlove.com
0: for a free gift
1: to keep your vibes up until next week. Thank <small noise> you.